our theme for this Easter Sunday is simply called Graves into Gardens. So I want to talk to you about graves and about gardens this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we, Lord, dive into this talk, this message, I pray, God, that you would take my words and twist and turn them and deliver them right into the heart and into the mind and into the spirit of every person here. We are so grateful for what you did as you rose from the dead. We are also grateful, Lord, to have so many incredible people from all walks of life and all different journeys of faith that are here with us this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, many years ago, I made one of the greatest mistakes of my life, and I went into the ocean to do what is called boogie boarding or body boarding. Has anybody in the room ever been boogie boarding or body boarding? Let me see your hands. Just going to lift up your hands, okay? Three or four or five of you, ten of you, the rest of you know better, you know, but, you know, we're in Louisiana. We're connected to an ocean, you know. This is one of the, the Gulf states, but we know better than to get in, you know, like, and, and so I went to California. I was in college. My roommate, one of my best friends was uh, uh, from California, so we were speaking in the area there, and so we went, I went with him, and I decided to go with him and three or four of his friends that were locals. Let me just emphasize that. They were locals. I was not a local. That'll be really important as the story progresses. And we went, and what I didn't know was that there had been a storm a few days earlier. We went to this place called Santa Cruz, and uh, the waves are already pretty big at Santa Cruz, and there had been a storm, which means that the waves get bigger. In fact, the waves get dangerously big after a storm has happened, and and here's kind of like their mentoring process that they did with me. Here's kind of like how the locals mentored the non-local in, into getting into the ocean. And they, they handed me a wetsuit. I didn't even know how to put the wetsuit on. Now, you got to imagine me. I'm in my 20s at this point. So you got to drop about 30 or 40 pounds from what I am right now and take off the beard. When you put a wetsuit on me, I'm in my 20s, but I look like I'm about 12 years old. And, and then they, they handed me this board, and I think I could kind of figure out it was curved in, 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 the, in the front, so I could figure out, okay, I think that's the front of the board, you know, and that's the back of the board. They hand me this board, and I said, well, what do I do? And they said, oh, it's easy. You just swim as far as you can, and then when you, when you see a wave, you paddle really fast, you catch the wave, it'll be really, really fun, they said. And, uh, and that was the last thing they told me, and they're like, okay, bye, you know, we're going to where the real surfing is, you know, and they left me alone. I want to just stress that if you go out with friends and they leave you alone to go into the ocean, those are not real friends. And so I thought to myself, I'm young, I'm naive, I'm in my 20s, I'm like, hey, how hard can this be really? And so I start paddling, and the first thing that I found out was, paddling in the ocean against the current is really, really hard. And it gets really, really tiring really fast. The other thing that I found out was there is this thing, I had never heard of it before, but it's called a rip current. How many of you ever heard of a rip current? A rip current is this thing that basically, no matter how hard you paddle, it's going to drag you in a certain direction. It's going to push you towards shore and away from where you were. And so I got caught. I didn't know what it was, but I got caught in this rip current. Now, my friends are nowhere 
to be found. I never even caught the wave. All I did was try to paddle out and then couldn't get out far enough to even see the waves. I'm like, you know, waving at surfers who are really out there. And I'm like, help me, you know, help me. And, and so finally I was like, I'm giving up. I, I can't do this. It's, it takes a lot for me to give up, but I was giving up. And so I tried to paddle back in, but I couldn't get back in because of this rip current. And it takes me, it starts to take me away from shore. And I get a little bit away where I can still see people. And then I start scooting away where I can't see anyone anymore. Now, at this point, I'm thinking about all kinds of things. I'm thinking about sharks. I'm thinking about drowning. I'm thinking about the fact that I look like an oversized fish to a shark, you know. And I'm going away from shore And little did I know, they actually figured it out when I came back, but I was about five miles away from where I had started. And at this point, I can see nobody. The waves are crashing in. I saw some rocks, and so I climbed up on these rocks. There was a big wall of of rock behind me, and I'm literally shivering shivering there. Now, this this story is funny to you right now, but, but it was not funny that day. I mean, I'm literally thinking about my mom. I'm thinking about, like, you know, when am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have children? You know, what is my, this is the end. This is where it all ends. And, uh, and so I'm shivering there. I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, two surfers came along. They were swimming, and they took one look at me, and they asked two questions. I'm shivering there, no beard, 30 pounds less, 12-year-old looking guy in a wetsuit. And they said two things. Number one, they said, you're not from here, are you? And I said, no. They said, would you like help? I said, yes. And I literally jumped in back into the ocean and each of them took one of my arms. And they said, just paddle with your legs as hard as you can. We are going to get you back. And they literally paddled me and and they literally swam me and I paddled with my legs back to shore. When I got back, I just have to end the story by telling you, my friends, were waiting on the beach. They had been done for over an hour with their surfing. And they're literally in a complete panic mode. They were like, we thought we were going to be calling your mom and telling her we'd lost you and you were gone. And, and we're so sorry. I said, I don't even want to talk to any of you right now. I don't like any of you. If I would have died, it would have been on you, you know? You know, if you've ever been in a setting, maybe in the ocean, or maybe in another setting where you wanted to live life to the fullest. You wanted to come up for air like I wanted to come up for air. But there's something, there's someone, there's something pulling you away, pulling you back down. How many of you that have ever been underwater in the ocean know that you are not getting up until the ocean tells you you can get up? Hello? The ocean's going to have its way with you. And that's kind of a metaphor for life, isn't it? It's a metaphor for life, meaning that we want to live life to its fullest. We want to be in situations. We want to be in, in, uh, in, in places that we can come up for air, that we can live life to the fullest. Let me just say it like this. We want a life full of gardens, We want a life that is created beautifully where, you know, we wake up in the morning and there's gardens everywhere. But life is not always going to hand us gardens because there's so many situations in life that push us down and that want to hand us graves. Thus, graves and gardens. 
let's just define graves and gardens here today. Uh, and so graves are actually the disappointments of life that create hopelessness. How many of you have ever had a difficult situation that created hopelessness in your life? Okay, so that's a grave. That's a grave situation. It was the, the beginning of the stories that we heard on the screen. And then let's go back to the garden one. The gardens are the benefits of life that give us a sense of hope. So let's talk about graves and gardens today. And specifically what I want to do is I want to lean into this tension. I want to lean into this question. The question is, how do you build a life of gardens in a world full of graves? How do you build gardens in a life full of graves? If you've ever had uh, your, put your hope into a situation in life, if you've ever placed your hope into something or into someone and you were let down and it came crashing down on you, you understand this tension. The tension of, I leaned into something, I hoped, I put my hope into an area, into a person, into something, a career, something that I leaned into that I was hoping was my garden, but instead it ended up being a grave. For some of you, you remember when you stood at the altar and you said, till death do us part. But then your spouse maybe said, no, it's not till death do us part. It's until I find someone better, or until I find something else, until I decide I don't want you anymore. If you've had that feeling, if you've been through that, you understand this concept of how do I build gardens in a world full of graves. If maybe you're here and, and you were promised that promotion at work and, they, and you did everything, you did all of your part, you stayed extra, you, you worked extra hours, you did what it took to get the promotion, but the person that said they were gonna give you the promotion let you down, they, they didn't give you the promotion. You understand that what started as a, a, a garden all of a sudden has turned into a grave. Maybe you're here and, and you understand what this is like when it comes to your college education. Because you started in a field that you were sure about, that you were positive that it was going to be the right career path and, and, and the right degree for you, but now you're into it and you're wondering if, it, if it's really the right career path, that maybe the job that you thought would be waiting for you as soon as you graduated from, you know, wherever, you know, UNO or, or Tulane. Come on, Tulane, get, had to give you a shout out. Come on, we got a big crowd from Tulane here. And, and so wherever it was, but you had that career path that, you're not sure about anymore. You're not sure if the job's gonna be waiting. You're not sure that the grades are good enough to get you into the degree program, the, the master's degree program, or the doctorate degree program that you wanna go into. It's this situation, this tension, that we have all felt at some time or another where we want to have a life full of gardens, but life hands us graves instead. This morning, we're gonna lean into a text from John chapter 11, from the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is a, a compilation of 66 books that are put together, that were formed, and it's where we really learn about this person named Jesus. And, and John, the book of John was written by one of Jesus' closest guys when he was actually on the earth named John, and he writes about the life and the teachings of Jesus. And we're gonna lean into a story from his book, a story about a situation that not only felt like a grave, but actually involved a grave. That not only felt like darkness and death, it actually involved darkness and death. Let's look at it together. You can look on the screen if you want to. John chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary 
and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. How many of you have ever been at a time in your life where you received some bad news? Raise your hands. You know, when you receive that kind of bad news, you know exactly where you were standing. You know exactly where you were when you got the phone call. You know exactly where you were when you saw the text message. You know the doctor's office that you were in when you got that bad news. I remember as a junior in college, getting the phone call in Minneapolis, Minnesota from my mom, the testimony that you saw up here on the screen, that, that, that she said, Wayne, your dad's had a, a, a massive heart attack, and there's a good chance, the doctors are telling us there's a good chance he may not live. I can tell you where I was. I can tell you what it felt like to receive that bad news. We all have been there where we have received that, that news, that bad news. But I want you to look at what Jesus says here in, in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. But I want to let you know that, that I just want to summarize verses 5 through 14 for you. Basically, what happens is Jesus tells them, hey, this isn't going to end bad. It's going to end really good. In fact, it, this is all for the glory of God, and, and he's not going to really die. Uh, and then he decides to do, you know, probably what he should have done, and that was he does absolutely nothing. Hello? He does nothing. Jesus does nothing for four days. So he gives them good news and then chooses to not go there, to not help, to do nothing. So Jesus is literally on the sidelines at this point. And they are freaking out because they know that if Jesus would come, maybe the situation would turn around, but he doesn't do anything. And then finally, we go, we, we turn, the story turns where he says, okay, let's go back to Judea. And I want you really quickly to meet three different characters in the story on the way to Judea and when they get there and they find Lazarus, this, this man who is sick. Let's look at three different characters in the story and I think that all of us can relate to one of these three characters. The first character we meet is a guy named Thomas. Now, if you've studied the Bible at all, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Thomas was known, he was famous in the Bible for Doubting. In fact, they actually called him Doubting Thomas. Like, what a great name, you know, when you're hanging around Jesus. Yeah, that's the one. He never gets it. He always doubts, you know. And, and, but that's his nickname. Literally throughout the scripture, he's Doubting Thomas. And, and so the, the first grave that I want to talk about that you may relate to is a grave of doubt. A grave of doubt. Here's the deal. All of us at one time or another, and you may even be here this morning, and you've got doubts about God. You've got doubts about whether or not the Bible is really real. You've got doubts about this whole Jesus person. You've got doubts, and maybe you grew up in church, and you had a, a simple faith, but then you went to college, and a professor said, no, you know, that's, that's all, you know, not true, and it's all a farce, and, and so now you're saying, was it really my faith, or was it my parents' faith, or, you know, I, I don't understand, or maybe something bad happened to you, and you've got doubt in your heart, because you're thinking, if God was really good, if he really existed, and he's really a good God, how could he let this bad thing happen to me? Or maybe you've got church hurt. Maybe you were hurt in a church somewhere in a setting that let you down. And so you've got doubt in your heart. Or maybe you're just a, an intellectual and you're, you're analyzing this whole God thing. And you're, you've got doubt in your heart. The good news is 
that Jesus let somebody that had doubt hang right alongside of him. And so if you've got doubt here in the room, here's the good news. The good news is Jesus is okay with your doubts. Hello? He's not, he's not shunning you. He's not saying you're not allowed to doubt. And we're not either. Maybe you've been in a church setting, you know, where they've said, in this church, you are only allowed if you have zero doubts. And when I go to those kinds of churches, I say, you're all a bunch of liars. Hello? We've all had doubts. We've all had times that we've wondered. We've all had times where we were, we were unsure. And maybe you've got a grave of doubt here in the room. Let's look at John eleven sixteen, 16, where we actually see the verse that gives Thomas away. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, just say that really quickly five times just for fun, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, it's not gonna work out. It's not, we're all gonna die just like Lazarus is probably dead, we're going to die too. You kind of you picture Th- Thomas as like this, you know, Charlie Brown type figure. Like, it's never good. It's all, you know, that, that kind of thing. You kind of can hear it in his voice. But then you've got a second character that I want you to meet today. Her name is Mary. And Mary didn't deal as much with the grave of doubt. She dealt with the grave of discouragement. She had discouragement. You can see and you can sense as you read the story, as you, as you look at, the, at, at even her words, you can sense the discouragement in her. And maybe you're here just like her and you, you, you just discouraged. You don't see anything happening. And you, look, look what she says in John eleven twenty. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. She's like, why bother? I mean, it's over. He's already dead. I mean, what good is it going to do now? I mean, there's nothing happening here. It doesn't matter that, you know, Jesus is here now. It's already went, you know, it's already went into the toilet here. I mean, nothing is good. Nothing is right. Nothing is happening here. And maybe you're here and you are in that, that time of discouragement in your life right now. Maybe you're here and you're going, is life always going to be like this? Maybe you're here and you're going, am I ever going to find that husband, that wife? Maybe you're here and you are married and you're going, is my, is my marriage ever going to look like I dreamed it was going to look? Am I ever going to get that dream job? Is, is life ever going to get any better? Am I ever going to be able to pull up those grades? Am I ever going to have a different time? Am I ever going to not feel as alone and as discouraged and, and lonely as I feel right now? Am I ever going to, watch this one, I'm about to relate to everybody in the room. Are we ever going to be able to take off the mask? Hello? Is this pandemic ever going to end? I mean, are we, are we ever going to have a time where life goes back to quote, unquote, normal? Are we ever going to have a time where it doesn't feel so discouraging? Are we ever going to have a time where I don't go to a movie theater and wonder if I should be in there, if I'm putting my life at risk or my family's life at risk or somebody else's life at risk? Are we ever going to have that time? So listen, if there's ever been a time where we as a country and as the world have been discouraged, how many of you know we're facing it right now, right? Maybe you're here and you're in a grave of discouragement. God wants you to know that he's here for you and that he loves you. But let's meet a last character. Her name is Martha. And Martha, maybe you can relate to her, she didn't have a grave of doubt. She didn't have a grave of discouragement. 
she had a grave of delay. A grave of delay. In other words, why did Jesus take so long? Why couldn't he have done something? In verse 17 of the story, let's read it together. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, I want you to understand something in the story. Biblically, back in these times, this isn't like a doctrine thing. This is like a folklore. It's like a myth, like a legend during these times. They believed that what would happen is after somebody died, they would be in the grave for three days, and at, 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 they still had a chance. Their spirit would kind of hover around their body for about three days, but then on the fourth day, now this is what they believed, okay, this is not from the Bible, this is not even truth, this is just what they believed back in that time. They believed that on that fourth day, it was over. The spirit completely left, it wasn't hovering around the body anymore. In other words, Lazarus has been dead for four days. In, in fact, he's not just dead, he's dead, dead. Hello? He's gone. Things are not looking good. The body is cold. It is, it is not looking good for Lazarus. And she's going, if Jesus, if you would have been here, and look what she says in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And some of you can relate. Some of you can relate to feeling like you trusted God to do something, but there was a delay. There was a, a reason. There was a, like, where were you, Jesus? We've been praying for a baby over and over and over, and still no baby. And it seems like the more we pray, the more you don't hear, and the further away you seem. We, I've been praying for this healing in my body. I've been praying for you to do something in my body because I heard that you could heal sick bodies. But I pray and I pray, and there's nothing, and nothing's happening. And it feels like you're so far away. We have this sense, we have this feeling that if there is a God, why won't he come through when we need him to come through? A grave of delay. But then I want to get you to the fun part of the story. Let's look at the next verse together. John eleven twenty two. But I know that even now. Everybody say that together. Say even now. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say even now. Even now, Jesus said. God will give you whatever you ask. But I know that even now, she looks at Jesus and she says, I know that even now. You know what some of you need here this morning on this Easter morning? You need an even now moment with God. Maybe God can come in to your doubt. An even now moment where God can step into your discouragement. An even now moment where God can step into your delay. And he can say, even now, you may be full of doubt. You may be full of discouragement. You may be full of, of doubt. But I'm here today to tell you that even now, I can come in to your situation. I can come into your life. I can come in because I am here even now to move in your midst. Even now. I'm here today to tell you that when I was 17 years old, I had an even now moment with God. Drugs, alcohol filled my life. Rebellion filled my life. I was far from God. I had made a conscious decision to walk away from the faith that I grew up in, that my parents raised me in as amazing Christians. I had walked away from God for almost five years and sitting in a service much like this one, I had an even now moment with God. Stories that you heard on the screen all 
four of those stories, you know what they had in common? They had an even now moment with Jesus. Where Jesus came in and wiped away doubt, wiped away discouragement, wiped away delay. And, and we are believing here today that you can have an even now moment with Jesus. Here's how the story ends. Jesus is about to make a claim, a statement. He's about to say something that is either the most arrogant statement, the most arrogant thing anyone could ever say, or it's real. It's a statement that would change history. It's a statement that is the reason we are all gathered here together today. Here's what he says. He says, first of all, he says, he lets her know, you're going, your brother's going to rise again, but then look at verse 25 with me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Let me say that again. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. The one who believes in me even though he dies will live. See, listen closely, friends. He's saying, he's not just saying, I'm able to resurrect. He's saying, I am the resurrection. Here's what you have to know about the resurrection. The resurrection is an event, and it is a person. The resurrection is an event, and it's also a person. Jesus tells, I can not only resurrect I am the resurrection. And then he follows it by saying, if you will believe in me, even though you die, you are going to live. What did he mean by that? Because if you're just reading that, you're going, that doesn't even make any sense, Jesus. Like, what do you mean if I die, I'm gonna live? Listen, what he's saying is that even though you are all going to die, even though we are all going to die, when we die, we will have eternal life with him. We will live forever with him, even though you die you may live because I am the resurrection and the life. Then he looks at the tomb, the grave, where Lazarus is dead. And he says this in verse 39. Take away the stone. Take away the stone. Does this sound a little familiar? Hello? Does this sound like a story that we might be here to celebrate today? Look, this is just a preface of what's about to happen. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse six. It says, he is not here, he has risen just as he said. Jesus rose Lazarus up out of the grave as a preface, as a foretelling of what he was going to do for himself just a few days later, hello? He says, he is not here, he has risen just as as he said. Now look this way, y'all. History tells us that Jesus rose from the dead. And you can go past the Bible. You can go into historical evidence, historical books that will tell you there was a man named Jesus. He rose from the dead. And over 500 different people saw him after he rose from the dead. Here's the good news, friends. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And because of that, your life and my life will never look the same. Before we close today, as the band gets ready to come forward, I want to back up and just explain some things 
to you. Why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Why did he even have to die on a cross? Well, let me explain this really quickly for you. See, in the beginning, everything was good. The Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything was good. It was so good that God looked down and said, yeah, baby, I did a good job. He's even impressed with himself. And then he gets lonely and he says, I want someone to socialize. I want someone to fellowship with. And he creates a man named Adam. And after he creates Adam, he realizes something really important, that men do not do well on their own. He says, I got to give him a helper. And he creates Eve. And then he puts them in a garden that would make Hawaii look ugly. Beautiful garden. And he tells, gives them instructions. He only really gives them one instruction. They're walking with him. They've got relationship with him. They've got fellowship with him. He says, you're only not supposed to eat out of one tree in the garden. But let me just look this way, everybody. Let me just give you some instructions. How many of you know when somebody tells you, don't look right, which way are you looking? Right. Adam and Eve do exactly what God tells them not to do. They eat of this tree, and instantly, this word comes into the world called sin. Now, sin may be a churchy word that maybe you, you know, heard and, and you, maybe you didn't quite understand it. A really easy definition for sin is just sin is missing the mark. It's the mark of perfection that God is and that God has. See, God is perfect. He, he knows no sin. And we all miss the mark. And because of Adam, sin enters the world. In fact, the Bible says it like this. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, I went to seminary for four years. Now I'm getting my master's. And I, I just want to tell you that I've studied a lot to tell you what that word all means in the text. In the original language, that word all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word all means all. A lot of education to tell you that. All of sin. We're actually born with this DNA. I didn't really realize how much we were born with it until I had children. Hello? The precious ones, the ones that we love so much, the ones that we adore, the ones that are the jewel of our life. How many of you know they have moments where they can be absolutely positively evil? Hello? Why? Because we're born this way, it's in our DNA. It's who we are. And because of our sin, the Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. So sin entered the world through Adam, and death entered the world through sin. Now there's a chasm. There's a chasm in our relationship with God. And for years, hundreds of years, God had all of these things he would do to try to make a right relationship with humans or, or allow humans to come into right relationship with God. For many, many years, they would offer sacrifices, animals, because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 
And for years, they would live under God's law. It wasn't an easy time in history. And then there's silence on the earth. And then a man is born. Fully, fully God and fully man. All God. All man. His name is Jesus. He's born a virgin birth. A holiday we celebrate called Christmas. He grows up. And he literally lives a perfect, sinless life. He does nothing wrong. Not a bad thought. Not an evil thought. Nothing. Now some of you say, I'm, I'm not that bad. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I had maybe... Maybe, you know, you haven't killed anybody or you haven't done anything like that, you know. And like, after all, pastor, I'm here. I'm not in jail, right? I'm in church this morning. I'm not that bad. But sin doesn't just include what we do. It also includes what we think. Hello? And some of you sin on the way to church because someone cut you off as you were driving here. And you did not have the thought, God bless you. I love you in the love of the Lord. Happy Easter. That wasn't the thought that came across your head. Some of you know that evil exists everywhere because you've got locks on your doors to prove it. You've got a security system attached to your house so nobody can break into your house because we realize that we're surrounded by graves, darkness, death, sin. But Jesus came, lived a perfect, sinless life. Not a bad thought. Not a bad action. Not a bad word. Perfect, sinless life. And then he grew up and he did these incredible miracles. He loved people. He healed sick bodies. He raised people from the dead like Lazarus. He helped people. He taught some of the greatest teachings that we are still teaching on today. Things like love your neighbor as yourself. Things like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The most incredible teachings, the most incredible person, the most incredible man. Even those that aren't sure about his death and resurrection can appreciate who Jesus was as a person. But now we're coming to the crux of the story. Watch this. It started in a garden and it ends in a garden. There were lots of graves in between. Because this garden looks a little bit different than the Adam and Eve garden where they sinned and plummeted humanity into darkness, into death. This garden is Jesus. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's there in that garden. And it says this, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What cup was he talking about? It wasn't a cup like one that you drink. It was literally, he's saying, God, if you can relieve me of the burden of what I'm about to go through, could you relieve me? But not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus understood something. He was about to be tortured. He was about to be whipped. He was about to have a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was about to be nailed to a cross. He was about to be literally stripped of his clothes and placed naked on a cross to, to be there hung, hanging with shame, to be there hanging in front of everyone. But he understood, I have to do this 
So mankind, womankind, humanity can have a relationship with God the Father. He's there in the garden right before he's arrested and betrayed to go to the cross. And he cries out. And then Jesus walks through, I think, one of the worst pains of his life. Not being, not being betrayed, not being arrested, not being beaten, not being placing the crown of thorns on his head, not being nailed to the cross. I think one of the greatest pains of Jesus' life was that everybody left him. He was all alone. His disciples that he had walked with for three years, they'd slept in, in a camp together. Man, they, he, they were there when he was doing the miracles. They were there on the hillside as he did the teachings. They've now left him. They've now walked away from him. And he's there by himself, hanging on a cross. But listen closely. That's the holiday we know as Good Friday, right? But how many of you know Sunday is coming? And I'm here today to tell you that the perfect life, the great teachings, the virgin birth, even the cross of Christ would have been null and void if it wasn't for the resurrection. See, the resurrection punctuated all of the claims that Jesus made. He called himself the Son of God. He said that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And if anybody wants to come to the Father, it is only through him. And I'm here today to tell you that Christianity is not based on a good set of morals. It is not even based on the Bible. The Bible is not what launched Christianity, friends. It's, it's what we read to know of Jesus. Christianity was launched. It is founded upon. It is based upon an event. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all stems from there. That event made all of his claims real. It had the, offered us the opportunity to believe him when he said he was the son of God. Otherwise, he would have just been another martyr that died a martyr's death for some cause that we would have never known about. It's the resurrection that gave Jesus all the claims that he said about himself. And literally, look, look this way. It gave him the claim and the ability to do what he said before he went to the cross when he said, I have the ability to forgive sins. You're here today, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've faced, no matter what you've gone through, here's your grave into garden verse. Last verse we'll show you this morning. Simon Peter, another one who had a lot of graves in his life. But now he's writing, St. Peter is writing, and he writes this in his book of the Bible. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, Peter is saying, because Jesus rose from the dead, we don't have to live a life full of the grave. We live a life full of gardens because of the resurrection from the dead, amen? Here's the bottom line this morning. If you, if we will accept that Jesus came out of his grave, he can make our life a garden instead of a grave. Now this doesn't mean that God is genie in a bottle and that 
Whatever you ask him for, he's going to give it on demand. It doesn't mean that all you have to say is, God, give me the new car, and I, you get the new car. It doesn't mean that God's just ready to make you rich. That's not what this means. This means that you will receive salvation. You will receive new life. You will receive new purpose in your life. Jesus has the ability to turn our graves into gardens, and he wants to do that for you here this morning, this Easter Sunday, and there's not a greater time that you could say yes to him than right here, right now, on Easter Sunday, 2021. Could you close your eyes and bow your heads across this room?